Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. I know it's been a minute. Uh, thank you guys for uh, your patience with me. As far as live streaming goes, I try to do it as much as I possibly can, but there is so much going on. And the focus has been for me, uh, my health, which is still improving. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, it is uh, also my family and how we are managing uh, the many challenges that are a part of this year. And so uh, I am careful about how I move about and I am as engaged and intentful about doing what I do as a passion and as a love and as a commitment uh, to my people and my responsibilities as a black man, along with being the professional I am in the areas of human uh, the study of human behavior, human improvement, human enhancement and performance. Uh, so there's a lot going on in my life every day that encompasses all of that. So as much as I want to get here every day and do lives, it simply is not possible with everything that's going on. And with the restrictions of ours, you know, before the heart attacks, you guys have to realize. Hello, Bernadette, how are you doing? Uh, you guys have to realize that before those series of heart attacks in March, for those who don't know, I had five heart attacks. Um, uh, I had five heart attacks at the beginning of March in in the in over the course of a week. Uh, the last two were major heart attacks uh, requiring surgery. And so before that happened, I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning, going to bed at 11, uh, seven days a week. Uh, I didn't take days off. And um, obviously they put a strain on my family because I'm always working. I'm always doing the things I'm trying to make things happen. Um, at the time it happened, there was a lot of uh, volatility and uh, what was going on with a couple of my companies. Um, things are still, you know, you know, somewhat in, in flux, but I'm learning to manage it um, in a very uh, healthy healthy way. And so I've got to be very careful with how I manage all of this. So it is extremely important for me to let you know that I'm grateful that some of you guys are still here. Uh, I noticed that the subscription rate uh, dropped drastically. I understand that there's a lot going on for everybody, first of all. And I'm not ignorant of that. I'm keenly cognizant. For some of you people who don't know what I do as a professional, outside of the work I do at the Odyssey Project, I own uh, several other companies, uh, five actively moving, uh, the Visionetics Institute, Master Fitness 21, uh, Odyssey Media Group, Odyssey Publishing House. Um, those are constantly uh, engaged businesses that require my leadership, my activity, and my intellectual uh, contributions because all of it is my brainchild and I know exactly what's going on. So there's a lot going on with that. I just wanted to really let you know that I would love to be spending a lot more time with you guys because there's so much I have to share. What I will tell you is if you haven't checked out or pre-ordered my uh Latest upcoming release, book number 23, will be released on January 1st of 2021. It is entitled Soul Ties, uh, Hope, Healing, and Restoration in the Modern Marriage. And it's a follow-up to my fourth book, which was When Your House is Not a Home. If you have not gotten that book, you can get that on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Um uh, I know for certain those two, you can get it on Sony Books, Kobo Books, a few others. Uh, you can get that on. <clears throat> uh, um, but I'm going to be re-releasing When Your House Is Not a Home in print for people who just want to have it. But I've made sure to uh, include or integrate everything that's in that book in 
this latest book, but to expand on it, to take it to deeper, uh, deeper levels, to talk about the importance of family, the importance of the marriage, the marriage as an institution, how marriage has been corrupted, especially in Western culture, uh, the importance of covenant, the importance of spiritual understanding, the importance of understanding the expectations, uh, what we need to do as individuals to prepare for marriage. I talk about dating. I talk about so much in this book and it will be released on January 1st. Uh, I'm going to put the link in here shortly uh, to share it with you. Uh, also, I'm sharing the link with you right now where you can actually support the work that is being done uh, through the Odyssey Project. Uh, I'm about to share with you now the link to... Um, this book. Uh, here we go. Soul ties, healing, hope, maybe transposing those two and restoration. pre-order and there you go um and i'll come back and add again each of those as the thread uh starts to move forward uh, i don't actually plan to be here long to talk about this but i do tell you that number one we do need your support so those who have been around for the 11 years that i've been on youtube doing what i do uh that has been around for at least five or six of the 22 well now now 23 books that i have brought to you for the work that i've done with black man lead the work that my wife and i have done through restoring ghettos forgotten daughters her work her book her commitment to young girls who have been incarcerated all of that we need your support that doesn't go and happen on its own it requires work it requires research i've put over 30 years of research into the development of the programs that i present i'm consistently researching and conducting studies i'm i'm under uh taking a massive one now which is one of the reasons why i don't have as much time for uh live sessions and you normally get the truck version of what i'm doing because i'm on my way somewhere and i can turn the music down and i normally have my music down anyway because i like the quiet when i'm riding it's one of the few chances i get to totally engage quietness outside of when i wake up in the morning because i'm the first one up uh but definitely we need your support also if you are thinking about if you are married and you want to improve your marriage, no matter how awesome it may be, you want to improve your marriage. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you're uh, close to divorce, or if you're even thinking about getting married, you definitely want that book. I promise you, you won't be disappointed now that that's out of the way. I have to talk to you about something. And this is something that I have been saying uh, for as far back as I can possibly remember. And that is we've got to monitor those we allow into the confines of our culture, uh, whether it's a culture we truly embrace or whether it's a culture that we may not totally embrace. Uh, I'm not real big on the current state of hip hop. I am a, a, a child of hip hop. I am a person who grew up uh, when hip hop came out of a necessity uh, and a response to the destruction of the Black Panther Party and the Black uh, Liberation uh, movement, the Black Liberation Party, um, through COINTELPRO. Um, this was our response. It was a communication. It was a culture. It was a narrative. It was more than just the music. It was the poetry. It was the clothes. It was the dress. It was the vernacular, the language being used. It was a way to communicate and teach. Uh, yes, we entertained ourselves. Yes, we talked. And the commercialized version didn't truly represent in totality what the hip hop movement was about. But we had a much stronger grasp on it. We had a much stronger control. And we allowed that to be wrestled away from us. And now we've got the result of us not owning and controlling it and holding down what we created. And then you get culture vultures that come into that who are not black, who are not a part of the experience, who don't have their fingers on the pulse and who simply want to make a dollar off of the culture, who want to make a dollar off of internal conflict, 
within it. And Vlad has been at the top of the league. Vlad TV has been at the top of the list of culture vultures who not only are eating off of our culture, but are creating dissension, conflict, hostility, promoting violence, and in many cases, getting our young men caught up in the system. Now, don't get me wrong. I am in not. In, I, I am not in any way advocating the poor uh, decision-making, poor behaviors of our young men. I'm not advocating men, our men, our young young men killing one another. I'm not advocating our young men disrespecting our women. I'm not advocating our young women carrying themselves in a way that cannot be uh, considered um, uh, of high repute. Uh, I'm not pushing the the disintegration or supporting the disintegration of the culture. What I'm saying is they're still ours. They're still ours. It's up for us to straighten that out. It's up for us to sit up and decide that, hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is what needs to be done. And I've put in a lot of work of offering solutions. I don't believe in simply talking about the problem. I don't I don't believe in sitting up and becoming an expert at complaining. And, and then, again, being one of the people who are literally eating off of the suffering of my people by simply telling them this is why we are suffering and becoming so well spoken at it that people pay me to tell them why they're suffering, but offer no solutions. My 30 plus years of research has been about solutions. I have pre presented many. If you go to the site, there's an, an entire blueprint for black black empowerment that touches almost every component of it. And so that's my thing. So when I sit in and I talk about these culture vultures, number one is they've got to be locked out. So the first thing that I'm sitting up and saying about Vlad TV is that we cannot support it. We cannot watch it. And we need to start putting pressure on our young celebrities, uh, especially a part of the hip hop culture, which a lot of this is taking place in, where he's promoting conflict between uh, Meek Mill and a couple of other people. But this last young cat, Casanova, I believe, is this rapper's name. Uh, who has now been federally indicted based off of an interview he did with Vlad. Vlad has a way of asking questions that you know you don't ask, but he's not being held to a standard. He's not, he, he wants to infiltrate uh, the culture. He wants to infiltrate the culture. He wants to be a part of it and talk about it and put it out and make money off of it, but he doesn't want to, or has he not been forced to, adhere to the standards. There are certain things you don't do in this culture. There are certain things the street will not tolerate. I come from the street. I know this. There are certain things you just simply don't do in the street. You don't put people on blast. You don't ask certain questions. You don't even ask the question. Even the person sit up and says, I'm not going to ask the, ask the question. You've just put, a, put, put, put information out. You know what you're doing. You're not dumb. You know exactly what you're doing, but he has not been held to a standard. Because he has a large audience, people want to get in there because they can get the exposure they're looking for. And we have to stop supporting it on the back end. We've got to stop watching it We because, see, a lot of what he's doing is being supported by ad revenue from the large audience he has that comes and watches this crap. We have to hold them to a standard. We've got to understand, first and foremost, we need to create authentic platforms. I want to thank my sister, Neota Yora, for being one of the first to go out and truly start this some years ago when Ferguson popped off and we saw what was going on. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of that. But what we've got to sit up and actually talk about is how we're going to hold those who uh, attempt to infiltrate our culture at whatever level and then bring in toxicity, bring in uh, nefarious intent, bring in all of these disgusting uh, and detrimental behaviors and then eat off of it. That absolutely has to stop. I've been saying, I've been saying from, from I mean, I have never been a fan. You know, I've looked at it and I've tried to get through some, but my immediate response of sitting in and trying to watch those interviews is why are you putting this person on the spot? Knowing the lifestyle of this person. Again, I'm not condoning the lifestyle at the same time. I don't want to see all my brothers and sisters caught up in a system that is going to do nothing but destroy them and never give them a chance to evolve out of who they are. Let's be real. A lot of us should be grateful for we're not the person we were 20 years ago. I know I am. I know I'm grateful I'm not the person I was 30 years ago, too. I, I, but I, I have to 
uh, be grateful, not only that I'm not that person, but I, that I was given the opportunity to grow into the person that I am and the person that I'm becoming, and that I now can be considered an asset of my community, an asset of my race, an uh, asset in my home. That was a process of evolution. That was not how I came into it. I was a product of the street. Now, granted, I've always been strong in my school and my parents didn't play that. But see, my parents couldn't be with me every day on the street. My parents, and, and if my parents could, just being protected and cut for by your parents may put a mark on your back. You had to handle your own. You had to be able to hold it down on your own. You and yours had to be able to. Or it was going to be a miserable life for you. But see, the thing is, I, I, I knew there was something better out there. I didn't want to leave my people behind, but I wanted to put myself in a situation where I could be an asset and help them and show them a better way. But when I watched Coach Ver same thing with the dancing. I remember how the narrative was created about, quote unquote, twerking in particular, how it was. Uh, considered ratchet. It was considered ghetto. It was considered hood. It was considered everything negative until we shamed a large portion of our people. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place and time for everything. There's a place to do it. And there's a place and a, and a way to do it. And there's an actual historical connection to this that travels back decades and even centuries. This isn't a new thing. We are a rhythmic people. We move and there's nothing like a one, the way that a black woman can move her body. It's just that simple. So this isn't new. It's a way of communication. It's a way of connecting. It's not old. It's rhythmic. It's how we literally move the universe. However, it has been sexualized in the Western culture because black women have been objectified and sexualized in the black culture. And so what happens is when we see it, we automatically associate it with sex. We automatically associate it with being disrespectful. We automatically associate it with all the negativity and don't see the beauty in the form uh, because we can't see anything but the body. Now, here's the thing though. After we had gotten to a point where a large portion of us was looking at it and saying, oh, how awful it is, how ratchet it is. Oh my, look at them, they're twerking. Oh my God, twerking became something negative. Then all of a sudden, all these twerking studios popped up all around America, owned by white women, teaching other white women uh, how to twerk. I even saw where white studios were hiring black twerking teachers and then firing them because they said their technique was off. What freaking technique? You know, and, and but but when you let somebody access your culture, when you don't truly understand your culture and you decide that you're going to alienate yourself in your own culture and then others see it and, and, and literally understand that there's something there and then they take it and then they show it to people who can't naturally do it. Yeah. But the thing is, the stripper aspect is another whole conversation that we need to deal with. But I'm talking about, I watched this, literally observed it for several years. I watched the process. I'm not talking about one event or one situation. I'm talking about most of the videos weren't strippers twerking. These were, 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 were young black ladies and in some kid, in some instance, kids. But see, that's another thing. We sexualize babies. Why some of the shows you sit on and you got little girls, nine or 10 years old, in outfits that sexualize and objectify them. And so we associate the dance with what's being done in the objectification without separating the two. And so then it becomes if you see a little girl doing that dance, she's fast. No, she's dancing. You where you're looking at it, she's fast, but we don't get that because we don't think along that level. What I'm talking about is they took it, made it an industry, and locked us out of it. Then here comes the the, uh, the issue with, with this thing that I've actually got on here about with Vlad. Vlad TV, this Casanova kid isn't the first time that somebody's caught heat legally from the interview they've done because of how he presents his questions. And that is a problem. Uh, there's a lot of beef that are literally beefs that are literally escalated uh, 
because of the way interviews go. And see, what he does is because it's about the dollar and because he's trying to get people to click on it, because every time someone clicks onto that site, he gets ad revenue for the viewership that he has. Okay, so he's trying to get people on there. So he's intensifying the click rate by the way he phrases you know, phrases the, the 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 title. And so, you know, when he did that thing with Meek Mills, it was like Meek Mill beefing with, or I forget the name of the cat, but he says, this person calls Meek Mills a hypocrite. And so now everybody's jumping on because they're trying to see what it's talking about. Uh, Eric Basin, I would suggest, and I'm not going to get on this too much longer, I would suggest you actually research it. What you call it and what it and the actual dance movements are two totally different things. It was named twerking over here. What I'm telling you is you can see the exact same dance done 50 years ago. No difference in the dance, the movement of the hips, the shaking of the hips. And there are going to always be variations because we as a people are going to add to where the people are going to create too. And the vi the difference is, we visualize it differently because we have a westernized view of the woman's body. We have a westernized view of movement. And the only thing we see is sexuality with certain movements. That's conditioned in the mind. That's not some made up thing. That's research. That's data. That's stuff that I've spent a lot of time understanding. How we view it, each person is going to be dependent upon how much we've exposed ourselves to something outside of the confines and the paradigms in which we live. If I live within a certain paradigm, there's going to be certain things I'm going to look at. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say point blank, that's nasty. Why? Because in the confines of the paradigm in which I grew up, someone acting like that is nasty, ratchet, hood, whatever, that that movement is directly associated with sex. Because it's done in a strip club, which you brought up, it has to be sexual. No, it's a dance move that you take in the strip, strip clubs and make sexual, and then it's translated back out into the mainstream as being sexual. But if you can trace it back to a time when it wasn't sexual, it's the same dance, that's not the origin of the dance. Now, you take the same dance and you look at it and it's being taught in studios around the world by white upscale women to even more upscale white women. And it's acceptable. That's not a that's not a that's not a uh, perception. That's what's actually happening. The very thing that we're saying is nasty is now acceptable. It came from us. It was it, it was made popular by us. And then it was vilified. Uh, hey, Flora. Hey, Regina. It's good to see you. It was vilified and then put in our minds that it was it was bad. And we start pushing the idea and the narrative that was bad. We start shaming people who were doing it. We stopped looking at the creativity of it, the artistry of it, and only saw the sexualized element and component of it. And then we turned around and here we are. That is the point that I'm making here is that uh, it goes so much deeper than that. And it goes back. So historically, it's not what you call it. It's the dance itself goes way back and it's not anything new. It didn't just pop up somebody. That's not a dance that somebody just created. That's a movement. That's a rhythmic movement. And black women have been moving rhythm, rhythmic for a very long time. These dances go back a long way and it was not something that had a very central sexual component or element of focus in it. That's something that was plugged in in a highly sexualized, westernized culture and then turned around after we were villainized through it and turned around and they industrialized it, monetized it, and it became an end thing. I can't go to the freaking gym and walk by the women's group fitness center inside the glass the whole thing is glass so you look in there and there's a white person teaching and they're in there twerking everybody old white ladies 80 years old in there twerking and that person's getting paid to get them to do it that's how this happens back to this whole Vlad thing and then I'm going to be done 
we have to have enough love and concern about ourselves. We have to have enough love and concern about our culture to protect our culture. Uh, this, again, does not mean that we have to advocate, support, or condone uh, counter-social behavior or anti-social Um, antisocial behavior. Um, and we have to really truly look at the greater picture. The greater picture is that there's a person who doesn't belong existing within the confines of our culture and not being held to the same standards of the culture. There are certain things that if you are a black person on the street doing what Vlad is doing, you will be dealt with a certain way. And yet here he goes, he's constantly allowed to come in and stir up this stuff. And yeah, it's the same MO, uh, Flora. It's the same memo, but this thing is we've got to hold people like that accountable. And this isn't just about Vlad. This is about uh, those who are outsiders coming in and exploiting how we live our lives, how we move, uh, the sufferings, the culture, uh, our artistry, our creativity, and so much more, uh, our conflicts, our, our, our uh, internal struggles are being exploited and manipulated from external forces. There's an exogenous force that is coming into who we are and benefiting from the disruption that it's creating. And it's leaving a mess and a stain. And we're not holding it accountable. We are simply sitting back and going, wow, you saw that, man, guess what happened? No, we have to have a level of accountability that holds ourselves and everyone in our, our, our uh, enclaves accountable and to be very, very critical of anyone who does not belong coming in and participating in what it is that we're doing. And that is ultimately the point that I wanted to present here is that we are too easily played. We are too easily ready to allow someone else to have the reins. There aren't a whole bunch of others. Again, that's my point, Eric. There aren't a whole bunch of others. That's a, something that I've also talked about. I just mentioned Neota Yur, uh, which is a major player in getting us our own platforms that are solely owned outside of places like YouTube. And there are actually places being created that are outside of YouTube that are actually black owned. Um, and that that is growing. The point is... If somebody is going to offer you exposure and it's going to come at the expense of your freedom, what good is it? It's, it's about understanding beyond the simplicity and anecdotal observations of what's there. The point of this video is sitting up saying that's not going to work for us. You can't keep sacrificing people from within the culture based on that. We have a whole decade. The 1990s were the circumvention and, 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 and uh, of our culture, as far as hip hop is concerned, took place. And, 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 and it was because we did not see the movement of the enemy. We did not see how things were transpiring. We bought into what was being sold to us. We bought into the whole gangster rap thing solely. Many of us solely because they were they were talking uh, radically and, and in opposition of 
the police department and many governmental systems, but we didn't see how the programming was starting to aim us to degrade our women, to focus on a drug culture, to promote the drug culture, to, to promote the degradation of our relationships as men and women, uh, to, to, to uh, promote the denigration of the black family unit and the disintegration of the black family unit in lieu of dollars and popularity and you know balling out of control popping bottles all the stuff that we love to talk about that rolled into the early 2000s and ended up being where we are now where there's literally no substance in the vast majority of the movement there's no real true appreciation for lyrical giftedness not just in hip-hop but in songwriting in general uh that um so much has been lost and there's still so much to be regained because we bought into the programming we bought into what was being presented to us the, the thing is the question has to be asked how is it that a white person can come in and have more of an influence and an audience in our culture when it's our culture that's feeding it that's the same question that i've visited and that i've uh, addressed when it comes to industries like the beauty supply industry the beauty supply industry is a fifteen thousand dollar i mean excuse me 15 billion dollar a year industry 96 percent of the revenue that goes into that industry comes out of black pockets and yet we own 3% of the industry. Why? Because we don't understand how to move vertically in as it pertains to operating in business. We may open retail stores, but how many distributors do we have? How many manufacturers do we have? How many is controlling? Um, uh, how many is controlling uh, uh, the pricing through manufacturing? And that There are so many levels to it, but what we do is we are sitting up and we are allowing people to come in and capitalize. This isn't an accident. It's literally a blueprint for others to eat off the backs of blacks. That's my point. That's what I'm trying to get us to understand. It's not an accident that uh, Asians are controlling the beauty supply industry right now. It's not an accident that whites and um and Jewish executives are controlling the music and record industry right now. Those were identified as cash cows through uh, black black coffers, black dollars, and they seized it. Your liquor stores and your, your gas stations in black communities, Arabs. So my point is you punish them. Are you going to shut black, black down? No. That has a pretty big audience, but a lot of that audience is blacks. Now, the way you do it is if you take the black viewership away from Vlad, you predominantly take away a large portion of his ability to interview. I agree with that, Eric. Being willing participants is what's killing us. Um, I agree with you 100% there. That's a part of my thing. That's what I'm about to address now. Here's the thing. This is how you control things. Okay, you're buying you're buying a a a uh artist artist A's uh content. Um, you know, he's a platinum artist and it's predominantly coming from uh black dollars. Now we know for a long time that whites have been buying rap music probably at a greater rate than blacks. But let's just say we definitely are putting them over the top that we have that. Okay. If Vlad can't show that he has black viewership, a lot of the p black artists that he's interviewing would not come on because the exposure to the people he has doesn't benefit them. So while you won't shut him down in total viewership, you can control who he can manipulate and use and have on because nobody's going on to say uh i'm gonna get these people to see me and the thing is i'm appealing predominantly to this group but this group no longer deals with dude you have the power to say it 
without black viewership, it's going to have an impact, but it has to be a unified thing. It has to be an understanding of a responsibility. There's a cultural Leslie Barker, where did you hear me say one point in time, I'm blaming my culture on white people? No, I'm saying white people are exploiting the, the, the nefarious sides and elements and components of the culture while getting rich. Black people are suffering. That's the truth. Nobody said anything about blaming white people for my culture. What I'm sitting up and saying is actually there is a point in element. You can trace when we started getting into situations when it comes to music specifically. Who control? Uh, first and foremost, if you don't know the music industry, you can't have this conversation. Leslie Barker, you obviously don't know me. All I, all I preach and teach is accountability. But truth is truth. Absolute truth is truth. Bottom line, who owns record labels? If, if you haven't followed me, check out of this conversation because I'm tired of entertaining people who don't know me, accusing me of stuff that they have no clue. My books, my content, everything that I've done is about us handling our business. I talk all the time about stop blaming everything and start taking accountability. But at the same time, who owns the record labels? Who controls the creative content that goes on those albums? You can write 50 songs, 90, 50 songs, 90% of those 50 songs can be positive, uplifting songs. They're going to take the 10 that are negative, that put us in a bad light, that promote black men being disrespectful to black women and all of that. That's what goes on the album because in the contract where they gave you that $500 signing, $500,000 signing bonus, they took your creative content. They own your masters. They get to decide what goes on the album. They are going to push the content that promotes the negative behavior and that promotes um, uh, drug drug abuse, that promotes uh, disrespecting, disrespecting women, uh, that promotes uh, violent uh, behavior, uh, criminal activity. That's what's being pushed in songs. That's not the only content out there. The content that was being properly put, put out that was the representation of true hip hop, the reason hip hop came about in the first place 40 years ago uh, is it, it, underground now. You got to go underground to get it. There's a whole underground industry that mainstream knows nothing about. And that's where all the rappers who are pushing positive content are pretty much at. It's hard to find them. There are a few that are on the, uh, you know, you got J. Cole, you got you got uh, a couple others that are out there and they're pushing a positive thing. But as a, a, as a general rule, those who are signing these bonuses are cats, number one, that aren't truly gifted lyrically, aren't truly gifted as artists, but simply can write a rhyme or have someone write a rhyme for them that meets the demand of what they want. They're telling them, we need more of this. We need more of that. No, you got to come back with this. That's what your A&R people are doing. That's what your executives are demanding. That's what people are getting paid to do. Now, here's the thing. You take a kid that comes from poverty struggle mom single mom had to pay bills all this stuff he gets up and he's 17 years old and then somebody comes up and says you know what uh hey i'm gonna give you five hundred thousand i'm gonna give you a million dollars i need you to sign this contract you're signing over this 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 and this this just sign it but i'm gonna put a million dollars in your hand what kid do you know that has been properly socialized at a level that they're gonna actually look at those dollars and say you know what that's a million dollars, but I can't take it. I can't, I can't jeopardize my character. I can't jeopardize my passion. I can't jeopardize my focus. I can't do my people like that. How many of you know? People got to eat. People want to eat. Until we address that issue, until we put a stop to that, until we sit up and come up with a clear understanding of, okay, we have to hold these people accountable. We've got to stop buying the bull crap. We got to stop supporting the bull crap. We got to start actually punishing people who participate. We got to sit up and say, okay, you go, that's the way you roll it. We're not buying your stuff. And then those of us who have platforms, a lot of us are bigger, a lot bigger than mine, need to come hard at these people who are actually presenting us in a light that's not truly representative of who we are as a people. 
We are so much more than Molly's and Percocets. We're so much more than strip clubs. We're so much more than, 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 than what we see of our men and how, they, how our women are being handled. They are hardworking black men. There are hardworking black women. There are black men who respect and defend black women at levels unimaginable. They were not going to get any press. That's my point. My point is we have to stop people like that from having the influence that they have in our community. That we feel the only way that we can get on is literally put our freedom in jeopardy, knowing that we ain't right that we ain't been doing what we're supposed to do, get on and let somebody corner us with questions that immediately immediately puts us in the crosshairs of law enforcement and then sit up and feel like, oh my God, look what's going on. No, we've got to send some pain out. Number one is we need to send pain out to dude. Look, you're not welcome here. Find somebody else to exploit. Find somebody else that you can get at. Number two, We've got to stop. We got to start pro properly socializing our young males long before they get to 15 and 16 years old. I'm, I start at four in my program because by the time they're six or seven, they're already taking on an identity of what they want to be, how they think the world responds to them, how they think the world acts and what their influences are on the world and what whether they're powerful or not. And how they're going to manipulate and move and get what they want. We need to be teaching them at the age of four who they are. We need to inculcate into their psyches the, the, the power they possess and the importance of business ownership, the importance of holistic education, not just academic achievement, but holistic education. Anybody that's following me will tell you these degrees on the wall don't mean jack to me outside of the doors that they've opened up that allow me to serve my people. What I tell you all the time, you need to educate yourself. It doesn't matter whether you get a degree because I, I can guarantee you the money I made didn't come because I had the degree. Now, the degree may open doors. The degree may make people stop and listen a little while until I do what I do. But the time that I've spent and in, in invested in learning my people, they don't have programs in college for what I've learned. In the way I do business at the Visionetics Institute, the, vision, the concept of Visionetics, I created. There's no course on it anywhere except for what I teach. I created that. And so that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about holistic education. Go out and find what you're good at. Go out and find what you're exceptional at. And I see a few of my uh, former clients on here. They can tell you about what I do in Visionetics. Nobody's doing that in the world because it's mine. I created it. I see certain elements and components, but I'm the only one doing all of them. And then I turn around and I take that and I feed my, I use it, I use the proceeds to feed my people. What, what am I getting at? Because this, this could go on forever. I've never made excuses for my people. But I'm never going to sit up and let those who have wronged my people off the hook. See, I can be accountable for the role and culpability I played in something and at the same time hold the people who did something to me accountable. There's, I tell people all the time, when I'm counseling people who come to me and they're starting to tell me about this, how this person did that to them and then before that, this person did that to them and they're going back and they're about six people deep and these people are doing these things to them. I stopped them right there and I said, okay, I need, I need to ask you a question. What's the one common denator What's the one common denominator in each one of these issues? And they'll look at me kind of funny and, and, and they'll look. Some will get it immediately. Some will look. I said, you're the only common denominator. Unless every last person that you've told me that has wronged you got together 30 years ago and decided that they were going to conspire together, just give you hell for the next 30 years. They don't know each other. Each one of them an individual. You're the only one. Something about you invited them in, something about you let them stay, something about you accepted them, something about you allowed you to miss all of the red flags that they were sending out. That's what you need to focus on. Second of all, you can hold all this anger and bitterness towards each one of those people. Here's the problem. That anger, that bitterness, that unforgiveness that you're just holding on to and you're focusing on with all your might is the equivalent of you taking poison and hoping they die. 
this is what I teach. This is how I work with my clients. But at the same point in time, it doesn't mean because I allowed you in and you've done this to me that now there's no culpability and I don't have to talk about what you are and who you are and the truth about you. That's not making an excuse for me. That's calling a spade a spade. That's simply being what it is. The bottom line is we can talk all day about redlining, urban renewal, benign neglect, all of these different forms of serial force displacement. We can talk about uh, the precursor to mass incarceration, which was convict leasing way back in the 1800s. We could talk about 12 years of reconstruction that pretty much put blacks right back where they were when it, when it all started, except they weren't called slaves anymore. They were called convicts and sharecroppers. We could go on and talk about all those little systematic uh, elements and components. We can talk about how we got to the thinking that cultivates the culture we're in right now. That's not solely on us. That's a process of colonialism and, 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 and enslavement and all of the things that followed. That's the, that, that's the constant presentation of the fallout of years of uh, multi-generational trauma, what we call complex trauma that has been perpetuated over centuries. We have never ever dealt with our trauma. We have never confronted the issues associated with our trauma on a level that allows us to heal. We are constantly experiencing re-injury while never having healed in the first place. That's compounded. That's complex. That is where we're at. Our children are suffering from it through adverse childhood experiences that are negatively impacting their health outcomes of the course of their life. I'm talking about uh, how you go through your life and experience your childhood will have an impact on your health. Uh, Four ACEs, which are adverse childhood experience, for every adverse childhood experience, anything from physical abuse, observing physical abuse, parent being abused, parents divorcing, parents becoming incarcerated, parents being addicted to substance abuse. Each one of those is a point. One ACE. You get four ACEs. You're 12 times more likely to commit suicide. You're four times more likely to develop heart disease and arterial disease. You are three times more likely to develop diabetes. This is this is hardcore facts that are there that talk about adverse <coughs> the perpetuation of trauma. I've, I've written heavily on epigenetics, the genetic influences on the perpetuation of trauma, the genetic influences on the predisposition to trauma. I've written on that. That's all there. So you cannot sit up and totally dismiss this and say it's all us. We Nobody else played a role in it because you need to understand how you got here in order to get away from here. You've got to develop a new way of thinking, but that's being influenced by your current way of living. So how do you do it? You are going to have to be able to pull yourself out of it. Stop finger pointing in the sense of everything is everybody else's fault. But acknowledge when something isn't good for you. Acknowledge when it's not producing for you what you want. Acknowledge when certain type of people don't mean you any good and learn how to deal with them. And that doesn't just mean white people. That doesn't just mean Asians. That means there's some black people that simply aren't good for you. There's some people who are literally waking up every day, every day and figuring out how they're going to contribute to your demise simply because you're you. Simply because some kind of way in their mind, they feel like you think you're better than them. Simply because they don't have a clear vision for themselves. They don't have a clear understanding of who they are. They will simply lit up, look for ways to take you down. They will demand that you live on the level that they're living on and they will do everything. That's where the whole concept of crabs in the bucket come from. And, and people ask me, well, what is it? I tell you why uh, the, the actual human component of crabs, in, uh, the human presentation of crabs in the bucket how it happens. See, everybody in the bucket is in this box that has perimeters. And the, the perimeters tell you what you can do, what you can't do, how high you can go, how wide and far out you can go. And so you're pretty much trapped within this box. Now, here's the thing. Everybody in the box has a similar lifestyle, a similar background. They come from the same place. So they tend to have the same excuses. You know, well, I, I grew up in poverty. Well, I grew up in a poor school that didn't have real uh, true uh, support as far as my academics and education was concerned. I was abused as a child. I was abandoned as a child. I, I was, And because of this, 
I can never truly ascend to a certain level. So here's where the crab in the bucket thing comes from. Everybody's in there is justifying their uh, position and co-justifying the uh, condition of everybody else. And this is what you call average. This is what you call mediocrity. This is where everybody is coexisting and everybody's got their complaints. Everybody's uh, helping everybody justify BS and being in their comfort zone. Well, here's the problem. When one person decides in their mind, I don't want to be in this box anymore and I'm going to climb out of this box. Here's what happens. The moment you start to climb out of the box and you have the same excuses of those who are staying in the box, you immediately convict them of their mediocrity. You immediately convict them of their averageness. You immediately convict them of their BS. In other words, if you can get out of that box, they can too. The, the, the problem is they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to make the sacrifices. They don't want to go through the difficulty and the discomfort. So what do they do? They do everything in their power to pull you back in. You are convicting people every time you take a step to move away from what you used to be to become what you can be. You're convicting a bunch of people you're leaving behind of their mediocrity and they don't like it. So you got to keep them away from you, too. Then you got the people on the other side that don't look like you that are hell bent on convincing you of your mediocrity. So you never truly aspire to what you can be because that scares them. That's why identity is so important. I got to check that out, Eric. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, in case you guys didn't check it, he, he, he made a recommendation, uh, The Probable Therapist uh, by Su Susanna Look Like It, McCohen. Uh, definitely, I'm always looking for anything uh, along those lines. Um, like I said, it's a constant growth. It's never pre pretending that you know everything. It's never pretending that you can't be wrong. It's never pretending that you've got it all together. It's, a, it's okay. I've got to look at this. I got to evaluate it. And that's why sometimes you'll say something on one of, one of the posts and I won't respond immediately. Or you'll say something on one of the threads and I won't respond immediately. I'm thinking. Maybe you're right. If I think that you're so far off of what I am, I'll, I'll assert myself because I didn't spend this time doing what I do not to be able to speak with a certain level of authority and faith in what I do, but I can be wrong. There can be some things I don't know. There are some things I learned from children. I listen to my kids with great in, in intensity and intent to understand what they're saying, because just because I've got this amount of time on this earth doesn't mean that they can't share something with me. They're going to give me a perspective that I definitely don't know now because they grew up in a different era than I grew up. So how they see things is different. I need to understand that in order to help them. I can't just operate from my perspective as a therapist, as a coach, as a personal uh, performance enhancement therapist. I cannot sit up and say, OK, this is what you're doing and then coach that person or counsel that person from where I sit because they're the, they're not. Uh, operating from my lived experiences. I've got to be able to get inside of them, see where they're at, put myself there and understand how they are deciphering, how they are interpreting, how they are processing and then show them the better way. That's what I share with you guys. What I'm telling you is there's absolutely nothing that can't be done. But you have to understand that doing something that has never been done requires you doing something you've never done. You've got to change your thinking. You've got to change your approach. You've got to change the way you see things. You've got to change the way you see yourself. And what you can't do is be so invested in propaganda, in media narratives, in so much more that when you sit up and see yourself, you're actually seeing someone else's image of you and not who you truly are. That's the danger of it all. We've got to stop letting external sources write the narratives of our stories. We've got to start understanding that we are extremely gifted, even when we don't have what is considered traditional resources. We are extremely gifted, we are extremely creative. And because of that, I tell people all the time when I'm working with them uh, in the Visionetics Institute or at Master Fitness 21, I tell them this all the time, your greatest resource isn't what you have in your bank account or your credit score, 
or who you may know that will loan you money. Your greatest resource is your resourcefulness, your ability to go out and find what does not exist or create it. That's your resourcefulness. It is unlimited. And so when we look at uh, what's going on and we see uh, where we're at, we can sit up and acquiesce to the suggested narrative we can succumb to it. We can bow to it. We can uh, comply. Or we can decide that we're going to rise above it and that we're not going to be dependent upon it to do so. So, yeah, I definitely am going to check it out. Thanks a lot. Um uh, is it still uh, available for sale? Uh, if so, let me know and I'll, I'll go cop it. Um, and uh, if not, you know, if there's a way that I can get it, please let me know. Uh, but if it's available anywhere, I'll find it. Uh, so I, again, I appreciate it. I'm on it. I'll I'll have it before uh, <laughs> by. 10 minutes within me getting off, I'll have it. Uh, the probable therapist. Uh, and at that price, I think everybody needs to cop this book. Uh, you know, when people, something that I do, I've got, uh, so I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to get out of here. But uh, he, he kind of triggered something that's like this thing with me. I believe in personal growth, but I believe in personal growth in, uh, in, process in incremental growth. In other words, there are these times when you will have these quantum leaps in which you have this magnificent growth spurt uh, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and it happens quick. It comes normally for some form of an epiphany, an aha moment that just totally shifts your paradigm. That's awesome, but that's not how you grow. You grow through increments. You grow through process. You grow through intent. You decide what you're going to change. You decide what you're going to expand. You personally determine how you're going to grow and what direction you're going to grow. And you get to do that every day. So what I do is I read every day something that I haven't read. Uh, it started 20 years ago. I was actually studying uh, uh, a, a Christian. Um, um, uh, wow. Drew a blank. But John Wesley. Uh, who's known as the great revivalist. Uh, he started the Methodist church. Uh, and one of the things he did is he read um, 100 books in one year. I decided 20 years ago that I was going to do that. And at the time I'm going like, that's going to take a lot of time. How am I going to do it? Uh, I took on speed reading courses, but more importantly, I just invested a certain amount of time. So I've got this thing of where I read a certain amount of books a week. I get the book. I go back to the end of it, find where the end of the book ends. That tells me how many numbers. And that tells me, okay, if I want to read it in this amount of days, this is how many pages I have to read per hour or per day or whatever. And I get it done. It's got to the point now it's automatic. I, I stopped counting a while ago, but for years I read a minimum of 100. I think I got up to one time 127 books in a year. And the goal is just simply to expose myself as to as much as I didn't do. And the one thing that happens in that is that every time you read, you see something you didn't know, it makes you trigger. It triggers uh, the the development of uh, neurosynaptic connectors that literally are the process of observing an experience and creating a new idea and a new thought, which becomes ultimately a new memory and a new belief. Uh, the more you visit that same belief over and over again, whether it's reading, whether it's affirmation, whether it's meditation, whether it's prayer, whatever it is, it strengthens the synaptic connection. You never forget anything. It's simply pushed further and further back the less you visit it and, it, and the synaptic connections that create the neurological network that connects all of the associative ideas becomes weak and it's hard to find, but you can get to it. I can help people get to it. That's what I do. But when you read something new every day, you, you take on a new idea and with new ideas come new possibilities. And when he said that, so now that's a book I got to get. And at $5, there's absolutely no reason not to get it. And so 
I mean, it could definitely be something that totally takes me to another stratosphere. It could be something that gives me a different way of viewing things. It could be something that just simply actually reinforces what I already know. But whatever it is, it's going to have an impact on my neurological uh, network and how I think and what happens. And I'm always looking for the positive. Why? Because what you focus on, you feel. What you focus on, you feel. And your feelings are what anchors your realities. That's why we're so easy to manipulate because our emotions are, are manipulated uh, or controlled by our feelings. And when someone else is controlling what's happening to you, they control how you feel and they control your, your, your emotions and ultimately how you see the world. And they can literally dictate to you and they can manipulate you and they can pull your strings. You have to understand the power of all this and how it works so that you can get around it. Um. I definitely appreciate it, Eric, man. You made my day with that one. I mean, anybody, offer me a book and I get giddy. I've been reading for way before you would even believe. Uh, I read the entire Cyclopedia Britannica before I was 10. That was a gift from my great-grandmother, who was my mom, my adopted mother, my great-grandmother, Ernest Lee Wallace. Uh, encyclopedia salesman came by the house in 1972. I was five years old and I literally lost my mind when he started showing his little set that he was, uh, uh, presenting. And my grandmother bought that set for me. And when it was delivered, it took me five years to get through it, but I got through it. Uh, and that's just how I am. I mean, I, you know, I love audio books, you know, if you're riding in the car or whatever, but I like to see words. Uh, I love to read. And so I love to learn. Uh, and that's something that I try to teach the boys that I work with, that as long as you want to learn, that as long as you are subjecting yourself to learning and being exposed to something other than what you are already exposed to, there's no ceiling, there's no encapsulation, there's no force that can contain you. The things that I've been able to do in life. I remember I was I was told that I wouldn't get book one published. Not only did I publish book one, I started my own publishing company. I'm on book 23. And all of the books that I published didn't come through my own publishing company. Uh, I actually had a publishing company come to me and request I write The Miseducation of Black Youth in America, which is book number 16. Uh, but... Now, this is a person that was told that my stuff wouldn't get published, not because it wasn't real written, just wasn't an audience for it. Nobody wanted to read it. Nobody's really interested in actually learning uh, with with fictional. Uh... Oh, man. you Thanks a lot, Eric. Thanks a lot, man. I'm going to go over there immediately and do that. Uh, those that see that Eric spotted me to buy the book. Now, he spotted 10. So I'm actually going to buy somebody the book. You got first person to email me, CEO at Rick Wallace PhD. I'm going to send you out one of the copies that I'm ordering. Uh, and the shipping is on me. Uh, I'm going to pay that. I'm going to play that. I'm going to play that forward. Uh, uh, and I, I just know I'm going to be blessed by this. So now I'm excited. But again, it's about learning. And the thing is, we are not trapped except for in our minds. And I'm talking about what we're doing. In, in, in this whole struggle. They've got us convinced we're trapped, so we're trapped because perception is reality. But we're gonna, we, we're gonna get into that. But my whole thing is, stop supporting stuff that does not serve our people. And I'm gonna leave it on that note. You guys have been awesome, you have been great. Don't forget to support the work we're doing at the Odyssey Project and research and program development. Also, don't forget to get the latest book, which is, uh, <clears throat> Soul Ties, uh, Hope, Healing, and Restoration in the Black, uh, I mean, Hope, Healing, and Restoration in Martyr Marriage. The link is somewhere here. It's going to be in the description box once we get through. I think I may still have it here. There it is. Let me it one more time. Um, that's the way you can pre-order uh, Merging Souls uh, is the actual name of the book. Uh, talks about soul ties. I, I, I get that mixed up sometimes. It's merging souls, hope, healing, and restoration in modern marriage. Uh, it's a follow-up to the fourth book I wrote, 
some years ago, um, when your house is not a home that dealt primarily with conflict in marriage. So that's that. I'm gonna get ready to get out of here. You guys have been unbelievable uh, in your support for me through my healing. Uh, you know, I, I definitely see life through a new lens after surviving five heart attacks and realizing that those previous visits to the hospital where I was having the blackouts uh, and the seizures were actually many strokes uh, to be able to be where I'm at now uh, to communicate and deal with you guys with all that having happened over the last few years uh, with the five heart attacks less than a year ago. I mean, March, uh, I look up and I'm literally uh, five heart attacks deep into an experience. And so uh, I thank the people who showed love. I thank the people who sent messages of support. Uh, you know, I'm still healing, you know, uh, there are certain things I can still feel that makes me feel kind of weird. Uh, it definitely made me a lot more aware of my mortality and the time that I have on this planet. And those who have followed me in the work I do in the area of human performance uh, know that I end almost every lecture, every speech, every video by saying, I'm going to live my life on full so that I die on E. That's going to be my challenge. Uh, that's going to be my challenge to you. Live your life on full so that you die on E. Don't leave anything behind. Don't leave this world with regrets of what could have been done. Live your life on full each and every day. Go out and put it out there. What I'm going to guarantee you is if you just wake up every day and live your life on full, you will leave a legacy that will speak for you long after you're gone from this place. And that's the best thing you can possibly do for your progeny and for those that follow. On that note, I'm out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day. Thanks again, once again, Eric, uh, for showing the love and sharing. Everybody else, Regina and so many others that have been with me for so long, thanks for dropping in. I'm going to do it as much as I can to get by a lot sooner uh, next time. But you'll always catch the little things I do while riding in the truck on the way to the gym, on the way to run honey, do errands and everything else. But uh, I want to take some time to really spend with you guys. That's why it's been over an hour and I'm still here because when I get to it, I just love it. Um, and on that note, I'm out of here. You guys have a great day.